0: Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. From ABC, this is the 10% Happier podcast. I'm Dan Harris. Hey guys, we're posting this on the Wednesday after the election as a uh, As we record in the middle of the night, um, it's starting to look like we're not going to know the outcome for a while. So I imagine many of you are squirming with some level of discomfort here. So we've brought on an ace to help us deal with uncertainty, anxiety, rage, self-care, and his name is Lama Rod Owens. He's a Buddhist teacher based in Boston and also the author of a book called Love and Rage. And we'll get to him in just one moment. Before we dive in with Lama Rod, I also want to say that uh, we here at 10% Happier are thinking a lot about how we can be of service at this tender moment in uh, American and global history. So we're also doing a live event today. And by today, I mean, Wednesday, November 4th at three Eastern. Um, we're going to be talking to, I will be talking to the Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams. We'll be doing some meditation and taking your questions and that will be on the 10% happier YouTube channel. I'll put a link in the show notes. So that's this afternoon. Meanwhile, let's dive in now on this, uh, Morning after with uh, Lamarad Owens, who agreed to stay up unreasonably late with us to do this episode. Lamarad, thank you for doing this. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, no problem. I'm happy to.
0: So let me just start by asking how you are. Mm -hmm. It's been a long, long night, and it looks like there's a lot more to go for this country.
1: Uh, Absolutely. You know, I'm okay, Um, I'm exhausted. Um, But this has been an exhausting year, you know, Um, and tonight is just a continuation of something um, that we're just struggling to make sense of and struggling to to figure out how to take care
0: of ourselves around. Taking care of ourselves. Let me pick up on that. Mm -hmm. You've been I've been kind of monitoring your pre-election utterances, uh, (laughs) what you've been saying at various uh, places uh, in the days running up to the election. And and you have talked you have talked a bit about taking care of ourselves, which I think for some of us is is, um, counterintuitive. Just just by looking at Twitter tonight, (laughs) um, the amount of references to heavy drinking and binge eating uh, to cope with the stress of watching the returns come in. Uh, yeah, it's just striking. Um, so so what is the role of taking care of ourselves at a moment like this?
1: Right. Well, you know, taking care means that we are trying to reduce the discomfort, we're trying to, to reduce harm for ourselves and for others around us. Um, and I think sometimes we get into the habit of, of kind of getting lost and swallowed in these overwhelming emotions that come up. You know, the anxiety, the fear, the disappointment, the sadness, all of that. Um, these are emotional uh, expressions that are quite depressing. You know, so we feel really drained, we feel heavy, we feel weighed down. And so we try to regulate those experiences by turning to something that's pleasurable. You know, particularly something that offers quick pleasure, you know, like drugs and the eating, you know, and so forth, you know. But when I think about self-care and caring for ourselves in this moment, I'm, I'm thinking more about foundational, long-term, really healthy ways of managing how I'm feeling, right? So, I'm thinking about rest. Um, I'm thinking about reducing my consumption of media, um, I'm thinking about um, something that's not so much about producing short term pleasure, but something that I can engage in that produces maybe a long term effect that I can come back to over and over again that doesn't feel so expensive, you know, um, in terms of the, the impact that it has um, on my system, you know. So, you know, it's not for me to like get drunk. Tonight, you know, but maybe turning towards something like just going to bed or, you know, watching a show, you know, um, having like, you know, a bowl of ice cream, (laughs) you know, Um, and then turning towards resting, you know, and, and kind of, you know, turning off the news and the media, you know, and that way that gives my like nervous system a break. Right. You know, that's, I think that's what we're really ultimately looking for is a break for our nervous system.
0: Self care has become sort of an, a bit of an annoying um, trope. It's like kind of like a millennial cliche up there with avocado toast. But, but, but I, I think, you know, if you, in the most substantial way, if you think about it in the most sort of, in the most, in the deepest possible way, self-care is actually, you know, I, I use the term before counterintuitive. You know, maybe some people are thinking, you know, to the barricades and I need to, you know, fight it out in every possible venue on social media, in the streets, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm not, you know, I'm not telling anybody what to do, but but there, you, you know, you, you kind of want to make sure you're taking care of yourself so you can be maximally effective. I was looking at a website today that, uh, the Ministry of Nap, yeah, uh,
1: Nap Ministry,
0: Nap mm-hmm. Ministry. So yeah. it's like uh, her, the the pastor who mm-hmm. who founded that, talks about naps as an act of resistance. Yeah,
1: yeah. absolutely. You know, and that comes out of Audrey Lloyd's work, where um, Audrey Lloyd, uh, many years ago when she was struggling with cancer, talked about self-care being, um, self care being self uh self um, preservation and self-preservation is an act of political warfare. You know, so this self-preservation isn't self-indulgence, right? So self-indulgence is something that we do that takes us away from important work. And we get kind of wrapped up in that activity with no intent of returning back to the to the work at hand, right? But self-care and in, in the form of self-preservation is really about Asking ourselves, you know, and, 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 and discerning if we actually need to take a break, you know, and taking a break only to experience some restoration, some care in order to return back to the work that's important. You know, so when I think about self-care right now, self-care as self-preservation in this moment, it means that I am realizing that the work is going to be long-term, You know, and so if I'm overwhelmed and exhausted now, then I take a break, you know, knowing that ultimately I will want to come back, I will be coming back to do the work of whatever the work looks like for us. You know, if it's political, if it's social, whatever it may be, you know, but I can't do the work unless I am feeling a sense of restoration, you know. And that kind of self-preservation, right, where I'm checking in with myself and asking myself what I need, that helps me to be sustainable, you know, for the long run. You know, so I think people look at tonight and they're like, okay, how can I possibly go on after tonight? No matter what the results end up being, you know, and I think that that indicates that we, no matter what, we should take a break, You know, we should take a break and go into practices of of self-care, self-preservation, right? And then come back and ask ourselves, okay, what else needs to be done now? And doing that periodically, I think, is really effective in terms of um, long-term work, organizing, living in general.
0: So self-care again easily dismissed as a cliche but mm-hmm. i think you and i agree on a deep level very important the uh, i think that's i think that's a great i'm glad we covered that i think i want to move on though to a, another issue that i think many people whatever side you're on mm-hmm. <laughs> we're we're dealing with uncertainty and yes. what we know about the human animal is that we are not wired to cope with uncertainty very well so from your background and after all these years of Buddhist practice what what do you recommend in terms of how we deal with this seemingly non-negotiable uncertainty yeah I just feel as if so much is
1: always uncertain, you know, like for instance, I have no idea when I'm going to die. That is a big question mark, (laughs) you know, for me. And it has been for the duration of my practice. So I've learned to work with that uncertainty in a way where I just say, you know what, whatever happens, happens. You know, whatever happens, happens, whatever comes, comes, you know, and Whatever arises, I trust myself to meet whatever arises with the support of my practice. So it's not necessarily me like really getting lost in anxiety about the future, but it's more about me coming back into the moment and just really showing up as open-hearted as possible and saying, you know what, I'm going to hold space for whatever arises in this moment. You know, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but you know what? I know what's happening right now, right? I know what's happening with my breath. I know what's happening with my body. I know what's happening with my mind, right? You know, and holding space for me means that I recognize and notice everything arising in my experience. And I don't react to it. I let it just rise. I let it be there. And, as I let it be there, I enter into this really profound space of experiencing what's arising for me. That experience actually opens up the door to space within my mind, right The space for me is just this 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 i don't know this experience of having a lot of freedom, a lot of movement, right I don't feel swallowed up by the content of the contents of my mind. I feel. This, this incredible sense of, of, well, this incredible capacity to make choices, right, you know, and and to turn my attention, you know, to experiences in my mind that are restorative, right, you know. So, instead of fixating on the anxiety, actually, within spaciousness can actually turn my mind, my attention to gratitude, which is what I've been practicing, <laughs> tonight you know look at all the things that are still going well you know look at what what we still have right look at you know look at all the incredible effort that people have been putting in to to creating a future you know that's equitable for as many of us as possible look at that effort you know, and most importantly for me, my gratitude is about the about is about realizing that, like, yes, I still am committed to a better future. You know, for myself and for others around me. Like, I haven't, I haven't given up. No matter what happens, I'm not giving up, and I'm grateful for that that I'm not burnt out. You know. You know even though my work you know is it's so much about holding space for folks in incredible ways, you know holding space for the trauma, the anxiety the worry, really you know I've've been with several groups today, you know helping folks really move through the anxiety, the fear, the terror the trauma um that's coming up um for folks you know and I'm happy to be able to do that I'm grateful for having the capacity to do that, you know? And I can still have that gratitude and also be be really realistic about where we're at in this moment.
0: Let me go back to what you were describing in the first half of your answer to my question about Mm -hmm. uncertainty. By the way, big plus one on gratitude. uh, And I'm glad you brought that up. But I want to make sure I, I get you to unpack a little bit uh, more about this idea of sort of my words, not yours, and maybe mm-hmm. not maybe not the right words, but sort of falling back yeah. on what's happening right now yeah. when we're tempted to be. And now I'm back in your language, swallowed up by <laughs> whatever uncertainty and the anxiety yeah. that results from it. As we right. look at, if we as we like obsessively refresh Twitter or the New York Times right. or ABC News. Right. Um, You said something about just, uh, I don't know what's going to happen in the future, but I do know what's happening right now. And it sounds like zeroing in on what's happening right now, either through your meditation practice Mm -hmm. on the cushion or in a more free range way, Mm -hmm. is a portal to something more easeful. Can you say a little bit more, Mm -hmm. like give us the, the, the blocking and tackling on how you do that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think first of all, it's a it's a certain mentality that we're choosing. And this mentality is choosing the discomforts. You know, so many of us are already uncomfortable right now in this moment. Absolutely. So instead of resisting that, how do we say, you know what, you're here, I welcome you. To the discomfort. Yes, to the discomfort, to the anxiety, the fear, whatever is coming up for you. And then that invites us, you know, that's an invitation to turn our attention into the discomfort with a lot less resistance. You know, I am uncomfortable, therefore, I'm going to choose this discomfort. And that, for me, opens up a lot of space around that experience. You know, and there's a layer of suffering that kind of drops when I start resisting what's happening you know there's there's a an acceptance you know i am accepting that this is happening great that doesn't mean i'm condoning anything it doesn't mean i'm giving in none of that it means that like i am doing this really basic work of acknowledging what's happening for me in this moment i can't i can't do anything productive or or important if i don't allow myself to touch into the moment of how i'm feeling And once I touch into this moment, then I can make a choice to say, okay, what next? What am I going to do now? You know, and maybe that next choice is, okay, I am going to take a break because maybe this moment is maybe maybe a little too much for me to hold in my practice. And so maybe I should go and rely on other forms of care right now that can help me regulate what I'm experiencing and once I feel more balanced, then I have the space to come back and say, okay, maybe I can start thinking about what my choices are now moving forward, you know. And so we, you know, we go to sleep, we get up and we say, okay, and this morning, okay, I have some space. Now, what am I going to do?
0: And on a practice level, mm-hmm. this... this Kind of counterintuitive move because our habitual response to anxiety is, well, habitually, I think we're wired to do one of th- at least three things. Feed it, mm-hmm. you know, just get right. swallowed up in it. Fight it mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. numb out. Um, right. right. Polypharmacy, alcohol, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um and this is a, a sort of an inviting it in uh, and getting curious about mm-hmm. it. And and I know you're from the Tibetan school. I, mm-hmm. I only know sort of how we practice in the either secular mindfulness mm-hmm. or Theravada old school Buddhism. Mm-hmm. But the way I would do it would be I'm sitting on the cushion or even if I'm just walking down the street is to maybe even use some little mental noting. Oh, yeah, where where is this showing up in my body? And and like, oh, yeah, buzzing in my chest or throbbing in my temples, et cetera, et cetera. Is that in line with how you would practice?
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. And, And let me just say how much I loved that you said old school Buddhism when talking about Theravada Buddhism. I'm gonna have to use that now. <laughs> 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 Old school Buddhism. Um, yeah, you know, it's it's just you know, just being in my, just being in whatever experience I am in the moment, and and just stopping and checking in and saying, okay, where am I feeling this thing? You know, I feel the mental experience of anxiety. Right, where does it feel? Where, where is it showing up in my body? You know, and this this is gonna be different for everyone, you know, like everyone experiences different kind of corresponding physical sensations, you know um in in their bodies, and so for me, it's like, yeah, it's always really interesting where this shows up for me and my body, so I get really curious and interested in that, you know, absolutely, but you know we also have to be very careful about especially now being really sensitive to trauma, you know, and getting really triggered when we kind of drop in to the physicality of our experience. Um, And I just, I'm really interested in, you know, I think there are many folks, maybe many folks listening to this, you know, this podcast who maybe don't identify as folks who struggle with trauma, but I think these experiences of trauma will become much more um, common. You know, and I think they have become much more common this year. You know, Um, and so I think we have to really start developing a lot of care around how we're looking deeply into physical sensations. You know, and make sure we we have a lot of support. You know, in that part of our practice.
0: What do you do if, if you, you start to, you know, I'm going to be a good meditator and I'm going to invite in all of <laughs> mm-hmm. these crappy feelings and what do you do if, if you yeah. think you might be, in, in, you know, in, in tilt?
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I think one of the things that we do is suspend the practice, right? And we shift... Suspend it. Yeah, just stop it. Stop it and just like shift our attention to something that's really grounded, really solid, really neutral, you know, um, so that means, like for me, my go-to is feeling the weight of my body on a seat, or feeling my feet flat on the floor, or like feeling my hands, um, or shifting your attention to another part of your body that feels really neutral. You know, I if you're someone who is getting triggered like that, shifting away from the breath is always a good idea. You know, I think for many of us, the breath tends, tends to be like a foundation. But I think right now, just something a little more solid, more tangible and holding would be much, you know, much more beneficial for us. Um, I do a lot of what I call earth grounding meditation. So I just really... Have, You know, I encourage people to go lie down (laughs) on the floor and just feeling the weight of the body being held by the floor. You know, I think it's so restorative, you know, just to get close to the ground, close to the earth right now is is such a fantastic practice.
0: But when I hear you say that, I, I mean, I love it. I think I actually do. I've mentioned this on the show before. Sometimes mm-hmm. if I'm I'm been writing this book, it's it's quite painful, the yeah. some of the content. And sometimes if I get overwhelmed, I just lie down on the floor yeah. and practice that way. But when I hear you talk about that, it doesn't sound to me like a suspension of the practice. That's yeah. still that's still a a meditative technique. Yeah. Whereas I could imagine you know, I just got off the phone mm-hmm. with a very close old friend, Willie. Mm-hmm. Shout out to Willie if he's listening. And he decided, he's a committed meditator, but mm-hmm. he said, look, tonight I am not watching TV. I, yeah. I know what's going on, but yeah. I'm not watching TV. I'm putting my phone down. And mm-hmm. as we we're speaking, he was getting into the bath mm-hmm. and he was going to watch John Wick. <laughs> and, and I, you know, what? I, 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 I bless that as a yeah. self-care uh, Absolutely. move. Yeah. Um, so it, that that to me seems like a suspension of the practice.
1: Yeah yeah well, I think when I talk about suspending, I mean suspending whatever you're trying to do in that moment that's ah, not producing the spaciousness that you're looking for, gotcha, you know so so maybe it's it's suspending that one thing it but transitioning into another form of practice, you know. Um, And I think that's what we should always be doing anyway. I think that we should be, as we're engaging in whatever practice we're engaging in, we should always be really aware of the data that we're getting back about the practice and making adjustments in the moment, you know. And that that level of aggressiveness that sometimes comes about in our practice, you know, that can really create um, a lot of harm for us. You know, so always in my practice, for instance, there's a lot of of openness, a lot of ease, a lot of like adapting and shifting. You know, I'm very, I'm very um, sensitive to the ways in which I reprodu- reproduce aggression in the practice by forcing things to happen. Yeah. My basic energy is allowing and watching and noticing. You know, particularly in my mindfulness practice and meditation practice, allowing. It's the practice of non-doing, you know. But we have so many people who are goal-oriented in the practice. You know, and mindfulness can often be presented as this, like, goal-oriented thing, you know. And if we don't hit the goal, then we're just, like, horrible bad people, you know. Um, And that's just—that doesn't fulfill— The ultimate aims of a meditation practice which which is to experience more openness and ease and softness and gentleness you know and more clarity you know you know a, a meditation practice isn't something we're trying to conquer it's just something that we're trying to to allow you know to to open up into you know um and we And that's, this is the hardest thing to do right now is to allow, because when we are opening up, you know, you have to open up to the discomfort. You have to open up to the anxiety, right? Um, And it's not supposed to be initially comfortable, you know? So for those of, you know, for those folks who are listening to this podcast, and if you're just starting a practice then you're going to have a lot of discomfort to work with right now. And that's okay, right? You know, because initially we're just tuning in to the material, you know, that sometimes we have been avoiding or running away from. You know, we're not creating discomfort. We're just noticing it. And, you know, that's something to celebrate, actually, that you're finally becoming aware of the things you're always running away from. That's fantastic. Now, we move into the practice of leaning into that, you know, and unpacking that. And and that's where we all have to be right now. I mean, and theoretically, like, Yes, we all should be there, right? But like not all of us are going to actually be in the space where we're going to be like really holding the space for the discomfort. You know, because a fair amount of us are, are going to continue running away, bypassing, you know, discomfort. But to move forward right now, it it means that we individually have to do our fair share of holding our own discomfort you know, and then working together in groups and collectives to collectively do this holding together, you know, because we have to, we have to mourn now. No, it's, no matter what happens in this election, we are in a really rough place right now as a nation. We're in a very divided country, you know, and I think a lot of that division comes from a lot of unprocessed pain, you know, a lot of discomfort that we're not dealing with until we deal with it. We will continue to see this division and everything else is coming from this division. The hate, right. You know, the violence, you know, the, the further targeting, um, of marginalized communities, you know, which will increase now, you know, um, but we have to. We have to bring our practice into the heart of both our individual and collective hurt and woundedness.
0: To be clear, when you say mm-hmm. allowing, yeah. Well, first of all, just to say, I love what you talked about. How like we should, <laughs> and this is a mistake <laughs> I made for a long time, and continue to make on when I'm not on my game. This idea of Turning meditation into something you need to conquer, and it becomes mm-hmm. another cudgel that you use on yourself to, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, you know, self lacerate. <laughs> to me, the sort of easing up has been a huge. Right. You're still doing the practice, mm-hmm. but you're not. You're not. You're kind of letting it do you and a little yeah. bit more. And, but, but I I can hear some type A folks. Listening mm-hmm. to this saying, well, he's talking about allowing. Mm-hmm. That sounds like passivity or resignation to me, right. but that—that that is not what you're saying. Right, absolutely. You know, it's,
1: we always have to question all the ways in which we're addicted to control, you know, because that control doesn't allow us to be vulnerable. And what this accepting is really about is vulnerability, right? You know, it's about opening to all these parts of who and what we are that we're just always running away from. Um, And so that makes us feel like vulnerability really can initially make us feel really weak and passive, you know, because we actually are not, well, we're not, we're not trained enough to be in a right relationship with vulnerability, you know, nor have we ever been encouraged to be really vulnerable, you know, in our culture. Um, but for me, when I really started working with vulnerability, I, just, I found an incredible amount of agency, you know, because I, I, just, I just began to discover and, and experience um, really figuring out who I was for the first time. And I felt really powerful as I was moving through that experience. You know, I would say, oh, that this is who I am. This is, this is what excites me. Like, this is what I'm grateful for. This is where the pain is, right? Here's a narrative about something else that I can work with. I just felt so, I mean, it was just like a revelation to experience that. And so therefore, I was able to move back into the world, move back into relationships and situations where I, was able to be more direct and open because I had done all this work Mm -hmm. and practicing in this space of vulnerability, you know? And so, yeah, I, control and aggressiveness. Yeah. Those are just qualities that we're, you know, we're, you know, there's a lot of support for us to be, (laughs) <laughs> really aggressive and, and controlling, right? Um, and I think that the most powerful experience for me is when I've let go of that control over myself and how that letting go has placed me in a much more honest relationship with people around me, you know? And I realized I'm not interested in controlling people, necessarily. Like, even, yeah, like, there are a lot of issues in the world, and sometimes I sit and think, oh, I wish I had magic abilities that can just, like, brainwash everyone into, like, you know, believing the things that I believe, right? That's, all. by the way, that's already happening. (laughs) This is why this election is happening the way that it is, right? You know, but, and then I take a step back and I say, you know what, I I don't want to brainwash people. Like, I want people to be their most authentic self but I want people also to realize how they may create harm and violence for themselves and for others around them based upon the things that they believe and and, and adhere to you know and we can't get there if we're not practicing vulnerability in our practice you know if we're not being supported in the work of vulnerability
0: Yeah. And just to put a fine point on it, I mean, this, what I hear Lamarad talking about here is something we talk about on the show all the time. It, he uses a slightly different language, but the vulnerability leading to agency is just another way of talk of, as I hear it, what we in 10% happier land talk about a lot of respond, not react. the, Ability to see what's going on for yourself gives you an enormous amount. That is not passivity. It gives you an enormous, it's deeply empowering because then you're not so yanked around by these sub Rosa emotions and urges and narratives, but instead you can have some space there, you can see them clearly, and then you can respond wisely instead of reacting blindly. So, but LaMirad, stand by for one second because I need to sneak in a a little break here. And when we come back, I want to talk to you about um, rage and anger, which I suspect not a few people listening are struggling with right now. So we'll be right back with much more of my conversation with LaMirad Owens right after this. This show is brought to you by BetterHelp. I got to tell you, I feel so much better when I talk about Third line free on essentials via monthly bill credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. All right, we're back with Lamarad Owens. Lamarad, you you wrote a book called Love and Rage. Great title, and it's fascinating combination I wonder how how do you recommend I suspect many people are more on the rage side of the ledger right now where again wherever you sit politically there's a lot to be upset about um, and a lot to be squirming about um, you know in the aftermath here what what do you recommend in terms of dealing with anger or rage if we're feeling it yeah, right now.
1: Mhm. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think that's a really a dominant uh, emotional state for many of us. Um you know, again, you know, it it's it's using the techniques that we've been talking about, you know, um which is how do we allow ourselves to notice and name anger for ourselves, right? And then let it be there because what's What many of us are doing is just reacting to it, you know, and that kind of reacting is quite draining for us, you know, the energy of anger is already really depleting, and then we started reacting to it in ways um, where we have no spaciousness around it, then it just further depletes us, right? Um, And so, again, you know, I... You know, in Love and Rage, I I really talk about how do we tend to the woundedness beneath the anger? Like, how do we go and notice that? You know, like, I, I, I want to sit and just admit to myself that like, I'm just, I'm hurt, you know? And my hurt may feel like fear, it may feel like anxiety, it may feel like trauma. It may feel like sadness or sorrow, but that's what I'm feeling beneath the anger. And without a practice of vulnerability, it's hard for me to touch into that, that woundedness. And touching into that woundedness is really important because taking care of that woundedness is going to give me the space to be in a much more um, balanced relationship with the anger. You know, And the anger isn't something that I'm just reacting to it anymore, but with space, anger becomes something that's informing how, um, how I can possibly use this energy of anger to create benefit for myself and for others, not to just create more harm but to escalate violence, you know? But anger is telling me that something's wrong, something's off, it's telling me that I've been hurt, right? And I think also anger is asking for us to use it in a really skillful way. You know, to to get things done, to help folks, right? Um, and to help ourselves, you know, not just go and create more harm for people or to try to get back at folks who've hurt us, you know? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm angry, right? And I can allow that anger to drift into narratives about how they're, you know, half of this country, right? You know, are just whatever, <laughs> you know? Um, but I also know that because of the work that I've done with the woundedness beneath my anger, I have this space around my anger that also helps me to understand that, yeah, you know, and there are still people who are also struggling to be in a relationship with their anger and and with their hurt. And they're trying to do the best that they know how to do as well, you know, and I can allow there to be a lot of compassion um, in my kind of consideration of people who I think are just opposed to, you know, the people who have different beliefs than I do. Um, But I can also say, you know what? Yeah, there are people who are trying to do the best that they can, you know, with their woundedness, their anger, but I also still have a right to set boundaries and to say, you know what, I can't be in a relationship with certain people, you know, if they hold certain views that, you know, that manifests as policies or violence against, you know, myself and those within the communities that I identify with.
0: I get that we, we need to have boundaries. Let me just go back though to, I think you use the term skillful use or of anger. Yep. I'm just trying to figure out what that would look like. Cause for me, it feels like, I mean, I can't do this cause I'm a journalist, but you know, <laughs> pressing caps lock and, you know, sending some ill-advised tweets right. uh, or mm-hmm. I don't know, you know, <laughs> punching a hole in the wall or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, that doesn't seem particularly useful. So right. what is the move, you know, in, on a really basic level, if we're feeling an upwelling of rage. Mm
1: -hmm. Right. Um, You know, again, for me, it's, it's turning my attention to the hurt that becomes a grounding experience for me, you know? And I think about all the other people Uh, in the world at this very same moment who's also experiencing this overwhelming rage and anger and all the hurt that they must experience beneath that anger and rage as well and that sense of like expanding into empathy it really creates a lot of support for us right it creates this kind of i don't know it 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 creates the spaciousness that helps me to not feel so overwhelmed by the anger, you know? Um, but also, there's something that has to be said about experiencing the anger as well. You know, when I have space around the anger after tending to the woundedness, then I also, again, enter into the space of experiencing And What does my anger feel like? Most of us have no idea what anger feels like. We just say, oh, it feels powerful, it's strong, you know. But, like, do we sit and really experience anger? Do we experience the mental experience? Do we f- the experience the physical experience of anger, you know? Um, and many of us believe it's too strong to experience, you know. And, and I think that we have to put in the work to develop the capacity to really experience anger, you know, and I, I've had to do that. Like, I didn't start my practice being able to experience a lot, but over the years, I've been able to experience the full kind of expression of anger for me, right? You know, and being able to experience really actually takes an edge off of the energy. And
0: again if if we're finding that we're if we're trying to do this like let's invite the anger in and be with it and we're and it's not going well there are other things we can do like lying on the ground mm-hmm. or watching John Wick in the bath or whatever <laughs> it is there right. are other wise ways to deal with this aside yeah. from you know like acting out
1: right you manage it right you consciously manage it right So if this is overwhelming, then I consciously choose something else to do, right? And it's completely valid to to do that. You know, if there's nothing else that's working, you know, like I'm gonna tune out, right? You know, this is too much, this is too much going on. I'm gonna go, I'm gonna turn everything off and go watch the Golden Girls. You know, or I'm going to do, I'm going to take a bath or whatever it is, take a walk. You know, that's managing it. And over time, we develop this capacity through those skills that actually feeds back into the, the, the basic practice of experiencing. Like, all of that helps me to experience the anger. And that's ultimately what I'm trying to go for. I want to experience everything. You know, Everything. Everything has to be experienced for me um, in my practice. That's my goal.
0: And uh, for uh, those of us who are not as far along in the practice as you, it's about sort of moving gingerly, mm-hmm. carefully, wisely, mm-hmm. so that we don't overwhelm ourselves. And so that then we can suspend the practice, as you say, and, you know— it's the Golden Girls. Um, <laughs> but but let me ask about the love side of this, because it's mm-hmm. love and rage mm-hmm. in your formulation. Mm-hmm. Um, I heard some, what I suspect are the sort of love aspect. Mm-hmm. I heard, you know, sort of tapping into what... Anger is sometimes described as a secondary emotion. Usually, I've heard it described by people in the mental uh, health arena as a secondary emotion. Usually Mm -hmm. there's some sort of hurt beneath it. So you can tune compassionately into what's going on for you Mm -hmm. beneath the anger. You can, and then I also heard you talking about expanding that to all the other people who may be feeling that kind of hurt right now. But what about... And you, and feel free to say more about that if you want, but what about feeling, is it too much to ask to feel love or empathy or even just basic somewhere north of neutrality for people with whom we disagree, given that mm-hmm. we all gotta live together in this mm-hmm. country?
1: Right, right. I mean, that is a tough place to start. <laughs> <laughs> I, I actually don't recommend people starting there. Um. You know, it's just, don't set the bar too high at the beginning.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And maybe not right after the election.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, when we start, you know, these kinds of, um, you know, call them loving kindness practices, you know, always start with the people you love first, (laughs) you know, and then move to neutral people. And then you kind of start gradually moving up to people maybe you kind of slightly don't like and then you get stronger and stronger than the people you hate you know that's like the pinnacle of the practice right but we don't start with the people we hate at all um you know I, I you know for me you know for me love is like really wanting people to be safe wanting people to have what they need to be well you know and i really i don't you know this doesn't mean bragging like or anything like that like it's just Like, that's something that, for the most part, I really, really want for a lot of people. Even the folks that, like, I don't like. I don't have to like you to love you. (laughs) You know? Um, I just, I, I know what it's like not to have what I need. I know what it's like to be a victim of violence. I know what it's like to be afraid. And I just don't want other people to have to go through that. You know, even if, like, I think you deserve it, (laughs) right? Like that, you know, no one deserves the suffering that we get, you know? But so I take that basic empathy that I have for myself, you know, and just try to apply it to everyone, you know? It's like, yeah, I don't like you. We have completely opposite views, but I still want you to have what you need to be well, you know, because maybe if you had everything that you need to be well, maybe like you would live, you would have a different life, something that maybe is is more conducive, you know, um, to happiness or whatever. And I'm not saying that people who have opposite views than me are unhappy, um, but you know, what I'm saying is that like I think that a lot of us are struggling to be happy. And I want more of us to be happy because I think that's going to directly result in a reduction of violence and, and harm. You know, truly authentic people don't create that much harm in the world, you know. And when I say happy, I mean contentment. I mean, like, a connection to, like, what a, what's arising for us you know in our minds like being really honest and clear and direct with what we're feeling and how we're feeling that that basic practice is where happiness arises for me and i think a lot of folks are happy based upon the enjoyment that they get from material from materialism you know from the money from the cars whatever it may be right but not the basic happiness from from being content and experiencing you know you know everything that comes up for them that arises for them you know and i think that a lot of folks are they've never ever been comfortable or they've never ever known how to really practice that deep level of vulnerability with themselves you know and I, and i see people and I, I see people you know committing these this you know the violence you know, and I look at them and I go, okay, like you're afraid of yourself. You know, there's a fundamental fear there that's turning into violence, and I can notice that. And I can, I can say, yeah, I see that, and I love you, and I want you to suffer less, um, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to be anywhere near you. <laughs> <laughs> right, we're not going to be friends. You know. I still want you to be free from suffering,
0: as we record this it's one thirty six in the morning. You've <laughs> very gamely stayed up late uh on the east coast um and all the all the pundits are saying we may be, we're looking at possibly days before we yeah. have um a result yeah um. And in, as you and I wind down our time here together, mm-hmm. I just wonder whether you've got any sort of closing thoughts given this excruciatingly uncomfortable position we're all in now giving you know, yeah. ma- again, no matter where we sit politically
1: yeah yeah You know this is you know this is a a, a period where I mean we have to lean into the discomfort we have to show up to it we have to get curious we have to notice it you know and the closer we get to the discomfort the more we we understand that that discomfort is just like all these minor experiences coming together you know and we'll never understand that if we're always running away from it you know um But even having said that, like, yes, you know, in in these coming days, like, turn your attention to the things that are restorative and supportive for you, you know, turn back into the relationships that are really good for you, you know, don't do things that you don't have to do, you know, and I've given that advice already today, like, don't, don't do, just do what you need to do, you know? Take a break if you can, you know, Um, understand that, like, this work is really about longevity and sustainability, you know, and it's about, for me, it's about understanding that, like, I may not see the changes that I most want to see in my life, you know, but I'm doing what I can now so that those coming after us. We'll have a better, you know, a better situation, you know, to come into in the same way my ancestors did for me, you know, so it's a very indigenous-based, you know, kind of view, right? But I think that's really incredible. It's, it's really important for us to embrace that, that we're preparing the ground for the future, you know, just like the ancestors prepared the ground for what we're experiencing. You know, and we are experiencing, I think we're experiencing an evolution. I think something really important is happening. But you have to go through the pain to get there. It's, it's, we're in labor in a way, you know, and really it's about holding your breath and pushing. You know, you have to push through this. And um, we're all going to be uncomfortable. There's no one who's not going to be uncomfortable.
0: I am agnostic on the issue of rebirth and, and multiple lives, et cetera, et cetera. But there is, you know, I've heard the Dalai Lama talk about the notion that, you know, if you think about it from that perspective, just as you said, the fruit of your actions right now, may, we may not see them, um, we may not see them within our lifetime, but uh, but we can see them But potentially Mm -hmm. they will, you know, the the fruit will come.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: Lamarad, I'm grateful to you for staying up so late. Really appreciate it.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: Let me say a few words in closing here. Um, I mentioned this at the beginning, but you can join me and uh, Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams today. By today, I mean Wednesday, November 4th at 3 p.m. Eastern for a live conversation and guided meditation. On the Ten Percent Happier YouTube channel, we'll take your questions about meditation, and uh, and do some meditation, and um, I think it's going to be good. You can check it out on the, our YouTube channel. Uh, there'll be a link in the show notes, and if you don't get it live, you can you can see it on demand, as it were. Thanks again to Lama Rad, uh, and I also just want to. Um, Point out that if you want more expert guidance on how to stay cool in these unpredictable days, check out the election sanity topic in the 10% happier app. There are free meditations right there for you, designed to help you weather the storm. And finally, want to thank everybody who's worked so hard to put this special edition of the show together. Samuel Johns is our senior producer. Marissa Schneiderman is our producer. Our sound designer is Matt Boynton of Ultraviolet Audio. Maria Wortel is our production coordinator. We get an enormous amount of help from our TPH colleagues, including Jen Poyant, Nate Toby, Ben Rubin, and Liz Levin. And finally, as always, a hearty salute to Ryan Kessler and Josh Cohan, my ABC News comrades. Uh, We'll be back on Friday with a bonus meditation and a a fresh episode again on Monday. Thanks, everybody. Hang in there. We'll see you soon. If you like 10% Happier, And I hope you do. Uh, You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
2: Once upon a beat. Remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? now when you read them as an adult you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin we have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember remix and reimagine for the kids in your life today join me DJ, and my trusty turntable baby scratch as we spin up new tales in the new kids and family podcast